Okay, so what a weekend that was. Uh, no shortage of stories to catch up on today. Welcome to the program. Uh, going to get going here in a couple of moments. Um, coming up on the show today, Matt Marchese is going to stop by our producer. We're going to start the hour off with uh, with Maddie. Elliot is, you know, when, um, in radio or television and someone's away, they say they're on assignment. Generally, that just means they're off for that day. But actually, Elliot Friedman is actually on assignment somewhere. So uh, we'll get to Elliot tomorrow. He's, uh, he's off today. He's actually, he's actually busy for a change. Um, coming up at the bottom of the hour, Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey Now and Hockey Buzz. Uh, I know the underlying numbers don't look great, but you're winning, baby. You're winning. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, who face off against the Maple Leafs on Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight. Uh, we'll talk about the Red Wings with Kevin Allen. Uh, he covers them on a consistent basis. Speaking of uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Keith Yandel uh, from the NHL on Sportsnet and former, as we know, uh, former Ironman, former NHL defenseman, uh, Yandel stops by top of hour two. Ian McIntyre will talk to us about the surprising Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks who find themselves, checks notes, one point shy, <laughs> one point shy of a wild card position after a really wonderful last 14 days or so. Um, and how do you not cheer for Bruce Boudreau through all of it? Uh, so that's coming up on the program today. Uh, in the meantime, Maddie, you're back from Sudbury real quick. You're, uh, you were off last week for a couple of days. It's uh, on the bus with the kids, hockey tournament time, silver stick style. What's your takeaway? What happened? Uh, uh, it was not a pretty weekend on the ice, um, so we will we'll get past it. Uh, but it is it yeah. does bring you kind of it does bring you back to you know when I was a kid and we used to do that right and um, and those were always fun. And I know in the grand scheme of things, the hockey is it, it's really a secondary thing, even though you want to go there and win. Um, so so yeah. the hockey part sucked, but the rest of it was pretty good. And Jeff, for someone who traveled the buses for for you know my time playing junior hockey i remember why i hated yeah. taking the bus all the time it's the worst and why is that why it's do you, so why uncomfortable do you hate it? it's so uncomfortable boo hoo i know boo i know i know i What's, but i'm a but, but, i'm but a unlike, vet i bring unlike, a pillow unlike on when you were yeah I was going to say, unlike when you were a player, though, you actually get to sit at the front of the bus um, now. Okay, well, not that successful a weekend on the ice, but welcome back nonetheless. Um, no shortage of stories around the NHL, and you know, one of them that we'll, we'll mention and we'll follow this week, Maddie, is um, the deadline to sign players for this season is coming up on Thursday, uh, 5 o'clock Eastern. If you're not signed to an NHL contract, um, by then you can't play this season uh, with an NHL team, and so we all wonder about Alex Formanson of the Ottawa Senators. Um, so we will wait and see what happens there. Just want to mention that and move on from it. Um, meanwhile, a couple of big stories from around the league. Uh, a couple of them Elliot and I talked about on Saturday, uh, but the freshest is uh, if you're waking up this morning and you you went to bed before the Vancouver Canucks game was over, Last night, guess what? The Vancouver Canucks are now one point away from my wild card spot, which is absolutely wild. And so much of this is being led by Elias Pettersson, who has just been fantastic. Your thoughts on what we're seeing from Vancouver? Is that top of your list, by the way, to talk about today? Yeah, I think so. And and partially because when you look at this, like the micro 
of the three-game winning streak. Two of those wins have come against the form, the the reigning Stanley Cup champions, and the Golden Knights, yeah. who we all think are very not very likely, but there's a very good chance that they mm-hmm. end up in the Stanley Cup final when it's all said and done. So when and and when you look Could at be. the convincing fashion, they beat the Golden Knights at five-one, and then follow that up on the second half of a back-to-back and beat the Sharks who aren't very good, but it doesn't matter. You still got to go out and win the game. Man, it's, it's a pretty impressive weekend. And I like that you mentioned Elias uh, Patterson because when we talked about when Bruce Boudreaux took over, the one player that we focused on that was going to get a bump, that was going to find his offensive legs again, was was Patterson, and he's yeah. done that in spades. Uh, he really has. He's been fantastic. Um, Chris Manko last night with the uh, with the overtime winner. Uh, I think he's been real good. The Brock Besser story has been, uh, sorry, the uh, Bo Horvat story rather has been a great one from the beginning of the season. You look at the majority of offensive categories um, with the Vancouver Canucks, and there is Bo Horvat's name beside it. Although Elias Pettersson does lead him by way of points, seventeen goals now for Bo Horvat. I know the defense is. Not exactly what the Vancouver Canucks want, but they are winning games. And I'll tell you, I'm uh, I'm real happy for uh, for Spencer Martin, uh, who's been good. And you know, it's it's only a matter of time. We all suspect until Thatcher Demko really and permanently takes the turn and goes back to being that goaltender consistently that we all think can compete for a Vesna Trophy. Um, listen, I don't know that they really do anything here. This season, it's still a, a it's still going to be a long slog for the Vancouver Canucks. But listen, like enjoy it while you have it. I mean, every time Jim Rutherford has a chance, he's you know wondering openly about uh, Bruce Boudreau and the style of play and the structure. And it doesn't matter if we win. Uh, don't like the the way in which we're doing it. I mean, he's done that interview a, a number of different times already. And I always feel bad for Bruce Boudreau when he does. Um, so enjoy that. Right now, Boudreau, you're you're one point away from a wild card spot in the uh, in the Western Conference. What else caught your caught your eyeball over the weekend, Maddie? Well, Seattle, they win again, and when you when you look up and down that roster, it doesn't it certainly doesn't scream offensive juggernaut. And not that the Calgary Flames have have been offensive juggernauts themselves this year, but they've scored eleven more yeah. goals than the Flames have, and. They're getting goaltending. Like Martin Jones is, has been really good this season. They're playing very well defensively, well structured. Maddie Beneers had three points last night. And it's one team that with I mean, I didn't have high expectations after what we saw last season, but when I look at this team, I look at where they are in the standings and how successful they've been. I I have to yeah. wonder if Seattle is one of the teams that may try and swing a big deal to bring in more offense because defensively, like they don't have stars. Like I, I like, I like Jamie Alexic. Nope. I like Carson Susie. I like Vince Dunn and they're getting it done defensively. But I wonder if they want to try and acquire a, a top end scorer to go with this team to really kind of give them an edge here. See, I, I wonder about that because it seems as if the, the, the one thing that's perhaps most impressive about the Seattle Kraken right now is how they're getting offensive contributions from all four lines. 
You know, we were talking about this last week, like construction of your fourth line specifically. Like now that line's expected to produce. And like Morgan Geeky is popping. Like he's got nine points. Daniel Sprong, we forget how talented a hockey player, how skilled a hockey player he is. He's got 11 points. Like these are your, like if you look up and down the lineup, like you're getting production, you know, double digit production out of, you know, pretty much everybody you would suspect. Do you want more from Alexander Venberg? Yeah, you do. But. I mean, Andre Burakovsky, that's looking like a fantastic pickup, right? 21 points in 21 games. Like, Jaden Schwartz is scoring. Matty Beneers is the leading rookie uh, point getter in the NHL. He's looking like the real deal. Jordan Eberle continues to click. That third line of Tanev Gordon, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand are real nice. And I, th- I think you nailed it, though, too. Like, you're getting goaltending out of Martin Jones. So much of all this is just about... Uh, goaltending. It's the old Elaine Vigneault saying, right? If your goaltender is better than my goaltender, you win. If my goaltender is better than your goaltender, I win. Um, and Martin Jones, like in the in the in the class of people you're happy for, and we just mentioned Bruce Boudreau a couple of seconds ago, and I think we're all happy about Boudreau and what he's been able to to accomplish in a very challenging atmosphere, where it feels like he's you know coaching with a with a target on his back. Um, same as Martin Jones. Like there was a time at the beginning, not that long ago, like this was training camp and we wondered about Joey Decord and would the Seattle Kraken be able to successfully wave Joey, Joey Decord into the American hockey league, thinking that someone is going to be done like at the perfect timing. There's going to be someone that picks up Joey Decord. Would there be a chance then that they would actually wave someone like Martin Jones instead of Decord? Uh, they did, and they waved the cord, and he ended up getting down. Um, and Martin Jones has had a real nice comeback season. Like, there's a few players. Andrew Raycroft last week mentioned Jake DeBrusque as being, you know, one of the one of the comeback players of the season. No one's probably topping Eric Carlson at this point, though, as far as having a uh, a return to glory. But Martin Jones is right there too. Like Martin Jones for Seattle, 17 games, 903 save percentage. Is it like the 915 you want? No, but save percentages are down outside of the elites because goal scoring is up. And if you're north of 900, even just by a smidge, and he's at 903, you're probably in you're probably in the ballpark to win most of the games that you're involved in. And Seattle does. Now, the interesting question about Seattle now is actually not happening in Seattle. It's happening in Coachella Valley with the Firebirds, and that's Shane Wright, who Saturday night against the San Diego Gulls scored again and scored from distance. Four goals in three games in the American Hockey League for Shane Wright. He's got two more, both of them against Henderson, the AHL affiliate for the Vegas Golden Knights, and then he's got to come back. His two-week conditioning stint is over. And what becomes a decision? Because World Juniors is on the horizon. And it looks like they're going to be naming a team, I believe, on Thursday is the date. Like, I think Dylan Gunther's going from Arizona. Um, there'll be a conversation this week. Elliot's reported with the, um, with the Los Angeles Kings, Brant Clark, and Hockey Canada. Um, I, there was some talk about Wyatt Johnson. There was that rumor out there, but that's, that's not going to happen. And I think we're all wondering about Shane Wright. His conditioning stint ends. Seattle's next game is against the Montreal Canadiens. You'll know Shane Wright would love to play against the Montreal Canadiens. But, you know, if you're Dave Haxtell, Seattle's head coach, how are you fitting Shane Wright in here? Right? Like you never change the winning lineup. Like, on, on the one hand, you want to see him develop. Of course, he's one of the 
key pieces of your future. But when you're winning and you're on a groove, it's tough to get into the lineup. Like if it continues like this, it's going to be tough even for that one game for Shane Wright to, to crack the lineup. You wonder, and I think a lot of us are looking at this and saying, yeah, they'll probably send him to Team Canada, show up on the 8th in Moncton. The training camp begins on the 9th. And, uh, and and go from there. And then afterwards, then becomes an even bigger decision. Do you bring him back to Seattle? Or do you let him go to the OHL where his rights are held by Kingston? We would imagine if that happens, there would clearly be a trade. So I- I'm with you, Maddie. Seattle's one of the most intriguing teams right now. And they're actually a fun team to watch, dare I say it. And by the way, Carson, Carson Seuss, he's going to get paid too at the end of all this. He sure is. What else you got? Like he, okay. Um, the, okay. I feel like we have, I know you're a big fan of this next guy that we're going to talk about, but I feel like we have not done his season to this point justice. And that's Jason Robertson. When you, when you look at the top oh, yeah. scores and it's, and it's not that he hasn't been consistent from the start of the season, but of late, he has really been red hot and he's now second in league scoring with 35 points in 22 games, and he's got 18 goals. And Jason Robertson on that Dallas team, you talk, you know, we, Joe Pavelski is, is still such a reliable player, and Rupe Hintz is so good, and, and we we both love yeah. Miro Heiskanen. But man, Jason Robertson has just been so good, so consistent, coming off of a 40 goal season. Dare I say that 50-plus is on the horizon for Jason Robertson? And I don't know how many people had that on their bingo card with Jason Robertson. Oh, I don't know. The way that he's playing on that top line, getting those minutes, getting in those positions. You know, I talked to someone on the weekend who said, you know, it's it's so interesting about Jason Robertson because, you know, he takes kind of the same shots that a lot of other, that a lot of other players take, but his just go in. You know, I, I wonder now, are the Dallas Stars looking at this and is Jason Robertson looking at this and saying, you know, $7.7 million. When the deal was first signed, you know, Maddie, we looked at it and said, okay, eventually it's going to be a nice deal for the Dallas Stars. That's a humongous bump in pay. It's already a great contract. Like, you don't need this contract to mature at all. You don't need this contract to, to grow. Like, it's already a good deal. Like the Robertson deal looks fantastic, and he's picked up where he left off. And I would even make the argument he's 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 excelled already. What we saw was an outstanding season last year. Um, make no mistake about it, Jason Robertson is going to get plenty of Hart Trophy consideration if this continues. And I see no reason why it won't. He's playing on what many, and I count myself as one of them, uh, the best line in the NHL with Rupe Hintz and Joe Pavelski, as you point out. Pavelski, by the way. Still playing at over a point a game pace. Yes, he's 38 years old. And he continues every goal, every assist, every tip, because that's that's one of his strengths, continues to make a, dare I say it, Hall of Fame case for himself. And I, by the way, just as an aside, you always look to find when the, um, you know, which thread was tugged that ended an organization I can't help but think that it was the beginning of the end for the San Jose Sharks when they let go of Joe Pavelski. To me, that was the big one, when they let go of little Joe. Not so much Joe Thornton, not so much Patrick Marlowe, but letting go of of Joe Pavelski. And even for Pavelski, at the beginning with Dallas, it wasn't exactly, things like weren't exactly going swimmingly. 
you know, it looked like, you know, he was stunned that he wasn't in San Jose anymore, that he was playing in Dallas. Uh, but they found magic with this lineup. And to the earlier point about Jason Robertson, 50-plus is not out of the realm of possibility at all. Like this kid, I remember watching him in Kingston. And you said to yourself, you know what? He's got the great hands, the great release, all of it. The only thing that's going to hold him back is the skating. The boots are heavy. He gets around fine. He gets around fine. Like it's one of the areas that he's really, really worked on. So for all the all those people out there that say you can't, like if you're a heavy skater in junior, you can't be a good skater in the NHL, yeah, I guess again, it's uh, it's something you can work at, and it's definitely something that you can improve on. So, yeah, man, Jason Robertson, super legit, and right now 7.75 is actually looking like a bargain. Like, Maddie, if he were being paid $10 million right now, I think initially we'd say, well, wow, it's way too much money for Jason Robertson. How can the Dallas Stars do that? But when you look at his production, you'd say, yeah, that's about value. He's in at 7.75 instead and they got 18 goals already 35 points the jason robertson deal is sweet already maddie sweet yeah already. and you're and you're gonna have to figure that by the end of this year the dallas stars are gonna be laughing all the way to the bank because that that deal is like you said it's it's a steal right now it's gonna look better yeah. for the dallas stars by the end of the year i did i did want to focus in on what you're talking about with 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 the slow with the boots and the heavy boots because there's one thing yeah. that we know now is that in most cases, if you're not a very good skater, you don't get to the next level, but how much of I like a guy like Tavares comes to mind is the same because he wasn't a good skater. When he went into junior, he wasn't, wasn't a great skater yeah. when he got out of junior and went to the Islanders, but something that he's worked on, yeah. how much do you think that that scouts and evaluators look at the player and say, He's it's not necessarily about his hands or or, you know, his shot or yep. passing ability, whatever. But how much of it is the smarts that elevates these guys that scouts look and go, OK, he may not get to that spot, but he's going to go to another spot that makes even more sense. And the speed isn't going to be as much of a factor as many people may believe that it will be. They still have to work on it. But how much does smarts that get yeah. these guys along too? Well, I mean, for players like John Tavares, I mean, he thinks the game at an elite level. And he was always, like, <clears throat> John Tavares was always great at board battles, right? Like, when I think of John Tavares, I think of extremely gifted. Sure, you think of, you know, uh, boots on the heavier side. Um, really smart player. Really good release. Uh, uses his body well. Very strong. But I always love his game along the boards. His game along the boards was always uh, amongst the top in the NHL. And, and I do think, by the way, for uh, for players that may not be on the speedier side, it's probably easier to get away with it as a winger than it is as a center. But I'm using that in the traditional sense. Like right now, it's, you know, uh, we're, we're evolving slowly in this game to positionless hockey anyhow, that I don't think much of that is going to matter outside of faceoffs. But uh, it, it is it is probably easier to be a um, to have a, a liability on your feet on the boards, uh, on the wing as opposed to being in the middle. Your your assignments are just so much greater. Start every breakout down low. Support everywhere. You it's it's a really unique player, and Tavares is one of them that can that can get away being a center that isn't that isn't quick in the NHL now. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with that because 
the game's just so fast now. And and as a center, you just have I, I agree. The responsibility is what kind of takes it over the top. You gotta tell uh, I did wanna I did wanna get one yeah. thing in for certain before um we hit a break, which is gonna be in a bit, but Connor Hellebuck and the helmet. And I know you guys talked about it on Saturday night. Yeah. And you guys talked about it on the pod a little bit. Um, where are we going with this? Because there not that there's a dangerous precedent to set here, but I I know when I saw it, my immediate reaction was, well, how the heck do you not blow that down? That was my first reaction. I know what the rule is, yeah. but there's kind of two ways to go about it. So if, and you and I, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit off the air, but if there is something to yeah. give here, whether it be like you mentioned, maybe putting a, a chin strap on goalie helmets as kind of the balance, what about if... Let's say the goalie's helmet comes off, the puck somehow gets out of the zone in that time frame, and there's a two-on-one, and they blow it dead. Like, where where do we find the balance here? Like, you may take a scoring opportunity away from the team that the goalie lost the helmet from. Like, where's the balance that we're going to find? Yeah. So a couple of things here. So this was, you know, one of the big stories of the weekend. This was a huge one. This was a big point of discussion. Uh, for every team in the NHL, uh, I spoke to, to two managers, one uh, a GM and one an assistant GM on Saturday before the show, <clears throat> and said, like, if they put this to a vote, uh, either blow it dead right away or keep the rule as it is, which is if there's a scoring chance in progress, you don't blow the whistle. And they both said, without reservation uh, and without hesitation at all, uh, we'd be in favor of blowing the whistle. Now, there are some that'll come back on that and say, hold on a second here. Uh, we've all seen goaltenders, you know, shake the mask off, okay, to uh, to get a stoppage in play. Oh, you're hemmed in. All of a sudden, goalie does the the head shake. And to your point about the chin straps, they're, you know, they're not mandatory. Uh, and the helmet comes off and, and the whistle gets blown. Um, so there is that concern, which is why I would throw in, and I can see a fight coming from the, certainly the goalie union, and probably the players' association as well. If you make chin straps mandatory on the uh, on the uh, the goalie's mask, what kind of pushback are you getting? Um, but this could be the like if you're gonna do if you're gonna have a conversation about changing a piece of equipment here or changing a rule as well. This is gonna be done, um, you know, in in concert with the players' association. And for my money, if it's gonna be the automatic whistle for a goalie's mask that comes off. Um, then I think what you have to do is, uh, as a league, try to make sure the goaltender's helmets stay on as much as possible and they don't just get shaken off. And the best way to do that is with the chin strap. Now, as crazy as it might sound for someone listening to this and saying, okay, well, that's a fair compromise. Goalies want to be comfortable. This is always, you know, arguments with the Players Association about equipment as well and not telling players what they can and cannot use. They have to feel comfortable out there to be able to perform their best. You know, the idea of putting on a, a chin strap where we may look at it and go, well, yeah, that just makes sense. Um, I think you get a lot of pushback from goaltenders. You know, I can recall, I can recall one game, Maddie. It was Ottawa Senators and the Atlanta Thrashers. And it was in Ottawa. It was an afternoon game. I can't recall whether it was a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon game. And Andre Pavlik's mask came off, like clean off, as Alex Kovalev had a scoring chance. 
and Pavlik slid over to stop the shot without the mask on. I think it caught him up high, like not around like the neck or shoulders, but just a little bit below it. I remember I was watching the game thinking to myself, oh man, this has the potential for like enormous disaster. Like, so my default has always, has always been uh, chin straps, mandatory, blow the whistle right away because are there are there goaltenders that are going to bend or cheat the rule book in order to get a stoppage to get a whistle well yes there will be i think we all know who some of the some of the main culprits might be but you know the the managers that i spoke with on saturday when i raised that point they both pretty much said similar things which was we'd rather deal with goaltenders cheating it a little bit and shaking their masks off and again, referees have to be, you know, on top of this as well. And if a goalie does that, you get the delay of, delay a game penalty or the dog, as we like to call it now. Um, you know, they uh, they said we'd rather have a couple of goaltenders cheat it a couple of times a season than deal with a goaltender getting hit in the face with a slap shot. Because as we know, everybody can fire it in this league now. It's not just one or two guys can really hammer it. Everybody can hammer it now and I don't like it's it's bizarre to me even though no one tested it that it was only a few years ago that they made helmets or face masks mandatory for goaltenders in the NHL rulebook so it was always wild. just assumed that goaltender we wouldn't have to have this in the in the rulebook as a piece of official equipment here you know anyone wants to go old uh, who was it Andy Brown who would have been the last to go maskless in the NHL if anyone wanted to go Andy Brown style in the NHL you know up up until a few years ago you probably could because it wasn't written specifically into the uh, into the rule book it is now uh, for mandatory equipment it's uh this is one that'll get brought up at the GM's meetings like this is one that gets discussed at the March meeting you know the early meeting is this one that sort of sets the table for all of this. So I would imagine that at the hockey ops level of the NHL, they would be starting to make their phone calls and do their research and see which way the wind is blowing and see who wants to do what with the rule around this one, because that was the moment that when Connor Hellebuck goes down, the Dallas Stars score to tie it up. That was a moment that got everybody talking this weekend, Maddie. Yeah, for sure. And, and another uh, another little wrinkle here, um, something that you guys talked about on the weekend, and we talked about it um, last week especially because he was just coming back from injury. Jacob Chikrin looks like Jacob Chikrin coming back from, from his injury. Three points yep. in four games. He has 22 shots in four games because, of course, he does. And when you look at the landscape yep. across the NHL, there are, I believe, only six teams – that have more than $3 million of cap space. And one of them, uh, a team that you have spoken yeah. about, is the Buffalo Sabres. And they they right. probably have the pieces to do it. Um, is there another team that maybe we don't talk enough about that could make a move like that? Because the team that I look at, just based on, on the cap, they've got some nice young pieces, and it does really feel like a move that this GM would make. What about the Detroit Red Wings? Interesting. I mean, I don't think anyone would be surprised. And listen, I'll, I'll put this one to Kevin Allen, who's going to stop by here from Detroit Hockey Now in a couple of moments. Yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise anybody, considering how very little information gets out 
uh, about the Detroit Red Wings. You know, Elliot's always made the joke that, you know, Iserman is now Lou Light or something to that effect, that it is like it is Fort Knox and information does not leave the walls um, uh, of the office. So I don't, I think Iserman can probably do anything at this point and we wouldn't catch wind of it before it happened. That's like he exists in those shadows and in those whispers and in those secrets and no one he's talks Batman. about what Steve Eiserman is, is talking about. I guess he's kind of Batman in Gotham City um, to that extent. I, I, I could, I would wonder about Detroit. I really do wonder about Buffalo, though. I really do. You know, the Chikrins and, um, you know, the Pagulas, our uh, family friends growing up. Uh, he went to, uh, Jacob Chicken went to school with Terry Pagutieri and Kim's uh, kids. Um, not necessarily that that's going to move a trade along, but there is a familiarity there. Uh, there was some talk, if you go back to the uh, the draft that the Buffalo Sabres hosted, which was the uh, the Austin Matthews draft, like, there was some speculation that the Buffalo Sabres, who we all thought were looking for a defenseman, and instead um, Ale- uh, ended up taking Alexander Nylander, um, might take Chikrin with their uh, with their first round pick, their top ten pick. Um, he fell, and as we all know, went to the uh, to the Arizona Coyotes. Um, but there's a belief that Buffalo is looking to get a little bit tougher to play against, uh, a little bit harder to play against, and and give those young kids on the blue line a little bit of relief as well. Like Rasmus Dahlin is having a spectacular year for the Sabers. He really is. Um, but he, he runs hot, man. Like they, they run him hard. If you have a look at the minutes that's, uh, that these real young defensemen play. So you have Rasmus Dallin at 26 minutes a night, Owen Power at 23 minutes a night, Matthias Samuelson, 1941 a night. These guys are all young, right? Power's 20, Dallin's 22, Samuelson's 22. You know, that's fine for 20 games or so that they've played. But over the course of a whole season, you wonder how much young kids, um, you know, in a, in a, in a new league or a, a league where they've only played for a couple of seasons, start to show some deterioration and, and start to wear down. I think a player like Jacob Trickman mitigates against that. And let's face it, we know that they're looking, the, the, the Arizona Coyotes are essentially looking for the Brent Burns-Minnesota-San Jose deal which would have been Devin Setaguchi, Charlie Coyle, and a first-round pick. So essentially, three first-round picks. Um, the Buffalo Sabres have that. Like To me, the Buffalo Sabres are fascinating because they've identified their core. Like, all this is being done around your Tage Thompsons and your Rasmus Deleens and Matias Samuelsons and Owen Powers. Like, and anyone who has been able to get locked up long-term they've locked up long-term. And someone that I spoke with from another team, and I brought up the Buffalo Sabres over the weekend, um, said to me, yeah, this is a team that doesn't need, you know, prospects and doesn't need picks. They, like, that that part of the lift, that part of the rebuild here is done. Like, now they need to put the team together. Like, they've identified their young core. Now you put the team around it. To me, Buffalo makes a lot of sense, but uh, it would mean that Kevin Adams would have to... You know, stray away a little bit from the plan that he's put in place, which is we're doing this with the kids, period. There's going to be growing pains. At times, it's going to be really awkward, but we're doing this with the kids. 
this would be a little bit of a departure. Like I know they've wanted like someone veteran back there. They've brought in, you know, Ilya Labushkin um, to to come in at uh, 28 years old and try to help things out there from a veteran point of view. This would be a little bit of a departure, but it would still make a lot of sense. And we know uh, the two sides um, have spoken. Uh, Lance Zazowski from the uh, the uh, Buffalo News uh, reporting that on Sunday after we put that out on Saturday. So that's the Buffalo Sabres and Jacob Trickren. And now having said all that, watch Kyle Dubas make a trade and he becomes a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's just the way these things go, Maddie. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back and talk to Kevin Allen uh, from Detroit Hockey Now. Also, top of hour two, Keith Yandel from the NHL and Sportsnet will be aboard, former NHL defenseman. Tonight, it is the Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet talks to us about the Vancouver Canucks, one point out of a wild card spot. How did this happen? And we'll talk about uh, about that in hour or two with Max. So plenty of show to get to. Glad you're aboard today to kick off the week. Some big games coming up this week as well for a lot of these teams. Kevin Allen gets us caught up on the Detroit Red Wings, one of the two teams you'll see on Rogers Monday Night Hockey this evening, the Detroit Red Wings. Kevin Allen coming up in moments. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey, it is the Detroit Red Wings facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Pre-game is 6.30, puck drops just after 7 o'clock Eastern. And the Detroit Red Wings, as I mentioned in one of the shows late last week, is probably a team that I'm guilty of not giving enough flowers to. Um, This is a team where, you know, we looked at the Atlantic and said, okay, if anyone falters here, who's going to grab it? Is it going to be Ottawa? Is it going to be Buffalo? Is it going to be Detroit? And it looks very much, even though the underlyings, um, if you follow that as a way to predict the future, uh, don't look great. They're winning, man. Four games in a row. The Detroit Red Wings now sit third in the Atlantic. Kevin Allen covers the wings for Detroit Hockey Now and Hockey Buzz, and he he joins me now. Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Looking forward to a big game tonight. Yeah, this is, I mean, they are, you know, historic rivals, and I always, you know, it's interesting, you know, whenever whenever these two teams mix, we all have, you know, players who, who flash to mind, and, you know, if uh, anyone is from a certain vintage listening or watching right now, you remember the old Norris division, uh, you know, you might see Steve Eiserman's face when I say Red Wings and Toronto Maple Leafs, or you may flash to Bob Probert or Joe Koser or Gerard Gallant or whomever, John O'Grodnick. Um, for me, I, I think of Red Kelly, you know, who, uh, you know, who won the most Stanley Cups with eight, never having played for either the Habs or the Islanders. Um, it's a nice little quirk of trivia. When, when you see, like, if, if you close your eyes, Kevin, and I say, okay, there's a game going on between the Maple Leafs and the Detroit Red Wings, is there a player that flashes to your mind right away? Um, well, Wendell Clark uh, is certainly a guy that uh, comes to mind only because, you know, he ended up obviously with both teams. But um, when I think of the rivalry, what I think of the most is, you know, what the Red Wings are known for is they travel well with a fan contingent. Wherever you go, wherever they're playing, there's always a lot of Red Wing jerseys there. You know, they're pretty much a national team. Um, but when they play against the Maple Leafs at home, 
there's a very large contingent of Maple Leaf fans there. And it's a <laughs> really unique situation. You know, uh, my colleague uh, at Detroit Hockey Now, Bob Duff, who lives in Windsor, he's leaving a little early tonight, yep. he says, because, you know, the border will be a little busy as the, as the Maple Leaf fans come across. So that's what I think of. You know, there'll, there'll be a. Um, when the Maple Leafs score, they'll be cheering. And that doesn't happen with any other team except the Maple Leafs. Interesting. Um, so how have they been able to do this? So the record is 11-5-4, you know, playing at a 650 clip right now, third in the Atlantic on a four-game winning streak. We all know about the changes that Eisman made in the offseason, whether it's the coach, whether it's the goaltender, whether it's some new forwards uh, in the mix, and listen, David Perron comes to mind right away here, but how have they been able to do this? How have they pulled this off as, you know, teams like the Florida Panthers have sort of slid a little bit here and made themselves a little bit invisible? Well, it, it, you know, it's it's all of the above. Um, you know, I mean, I think the free agent acquisitions were a lot more significant than um, I think the folks in the media and certainly the fan base thought they were going to be because they were really targeted acquisitions. You know, they up, um, upgraded their goaltending with Billy Uso. Um, they really wanted a stronger defense, so they went out and got two, um, you know, shutdown guys and uh, Sherratt and uh, Mata. And, uh, you know, I think Mata has been a lot better than even the Red Wings thought he was going to be. He's really embraced that role. He came into the league as kind of a two-way guy with – some offense. Now he's all about the defense. And, um, you know, they've uh, become the, one of the top uh, shot blocking teams in the league as well. You know, yesterday, Derek Lalonde said, you know, to him that uh, the injuries that they've got, they've gotten, that there have been three or four from shot blocking, is the price you pay for winning. And uh, that kind of struck me as. You know, that's sort of a difference now. There's a lot of discussion. The Red Wings have always been kind of an offensive team and there's a lot more discussion now about being hard to play against and you know blocking those shots and uh, uh, you know playing with an edge and uh, last season Dylan Larkin must have said a half dozen times we're not measuring up against the more physical teams now they can it's not that they're going to fight and everything else but Mm -hmm. they're gritty you know they play hard uh, the other night, Rasmussen um, stood up for one of his teammates. And he, you know, he got ended up with the first fighting major for the Red Wings. But it was it was noteworthy. Like people talked about it because uh, that's what they haven't done since this rebuild started. But it's really about one person this rebuild, and that's Eiserman. Like, yeah, he hates it when the media starts talking about that he's got a little magic to his managerial game, but he does. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. He knows how to draft. That first round belongs to him. He's got a good sense of, you know, what uh, uh, taking that right player with that high draft pick. He's got a real good sense on the kind of people he wants to plug in. And uh, I don't know that he's really made uh, uh, very many mistakes since taking over and uh, doing this uh, rebuild. Uh, it is impressive, uh, even though the uh, you know the actual versus expected goals we look at and we say, oh, okay, so they're kind of on a little bit of a bender here, and this is all going to crash. You know, eventually, you know, eventually the the bill arrives, the light comes up, and you know the uh, Republican <laughs> says, "All right, uh, time to go home now." <laughs> um, they're doing it, like they're 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 yeah. they're getting they're getting wins. Um, how much is how much is David Perron? 
I want to get to Dylan Larkin here in a second here and, and what's on the horizon for him. But how much has Dev, David Perron meant to this team? I think a lot, uh, particularly on the power play. I mean, like he's been, you know, it wasn't like uh, people talked about well, last year. He got 11 power play goals, but he's been a power play uh, guy for a long time. And he sort of understands the uh, idea that when things don't go well for, uh, you know, eight or ten uh, power plays in a row, that you don't panic and you stick with it. And and I think that's what was going on here for the last few years is they've been so poor on the power play that any time they'd go three or four games, and panic would set in and everybody would uh, start uh, developing bad habits, trying to make the extra play, trying to make the fancy play. And uh, Perron is very steady. He loves to shoot the puck. You know, he basically invites you to give him the puck, and I think it's made a big difference in terms of the confidence of this group. Let's get to Dylan Larkin, and uh, this is a conversation that we had a little bit last season. It's more of a conversation this season. This is a pending UFA. Uh, I have no belief that he wants to play anywhere other than Detroit, um, but in between that desire and him getting in a Wings uniform next season is the you know the the sticky little business of, of a new contract. You know, I think that there's probably two players in the league that are watching each other in their negotiations. One of them is Dylan Larkin, the other is Bo Horvat, and saying, okay, whenever you sign, that's what I'm going to ask for, regardless of who it is, either Larkin or Horvat here. Um, clear that Eisenman wants him to stay. He's such a great player. Clear that Larkin wants to stay as well. What do you think the holdup could be here? Like, we've seen... I mean, Eisenman dug in his heels on Steven Stamkos in Tampa. Are we seeing the same thing now with Dylan Larkin, that Eisenman has a number and he's dug in his heels? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is very reminiscent of the Stamkos situation. And, um, you know, Steve Eisenman, you know, it's hard to get a total read because Steve does not talk about negotiations. And I mean, he doesn't say a word about them. He doesn't say how they're going or that we're talking or, you know, we'll get there. He just said, if Dylan wants to talk about him, that's something, but I'm not saying a word. And he doesn't. Um, but our, the basic read is going to be, especially since most of us thought this was going to get done before the season, as you mentioned, hometown boy, University of Michigan player, popular in the community, popular with his teammates, has gotten better as his career has progressed doing the things that they want him to do, um, delivers at the right time, and it's not done. Well, the only thing we can conclude is, is just as you said, Eisenman has always believed that, you know, I get that, you know, we have these comparables that we're supposed to uh, use to get the the, the uh, contract signed, but what about if I don't think that's how it works for my team. I don't feel like I've got to sign a player to that contract just because Buffalo did it or Toronto did it or New York did it. And I think that's where we're at. I think Larkin has, with Pat Brisson as his agent, has probably said, look, this is the market. Um, This is what I deserve. And Steve's going, no, that's not really what I want to do. Uh, You know, I've got other players to sign. Raymond's coming up. Sider will be coming up. You know, uh, Bertuzzi I'm working on. So, I think he is. Uh, he's probably asked uh, Larkin to take a little less, than like uh, sort of like the Boston Bruins. Now, again, I don't know that for sure, but that's what my guess is, and I'm guessing the hang-up is somewhere in the nine million dollar range. So we'll, we'll just have to yeah. see how it plays out. How um, how uncomfortable will it get around March third? 
NHL trade deadline if he hasn't signed at that point? Because listen, he like like you mentioned, like he did it with Stamkos, right? And yeah. There's always we all oh, Steve will get it, Steve will get it, Steve will get it. Um, this is Dylan Larkin, and we know how important he is to this organization. I think he's one of the more when you consider like how good he's been for so long, one of the probably the more underrated players. In the in the entire NHL, Red Wings fans know it. They've watched him day in and day out. Uh, how how squirrely do do people get around March third if the deal's not done? Oh, I you know I think they're going to be really squirrely, particularly because we have the second element um, in um, Tyler Bertuzzi, and I think most of us in the media felt this was all along that this was going to be problematic. And um, like I could see. Eisenman letting Larkin go and figuring we can still get him signed right to the last. I, you know, I just feel like they might trade Tyler Bertuzzi, and it's just a hunch. But if they can't get it done, and, you know, there's been tension in the previous contract talks with uh, Bertuzzi, and uh, uh, I think it's entirely possible that this, you know, you have two headstrong um, people here, so this may not get done. And I think they think they can get a lot for Bertuzzi. Not that they wouldn't for Larkin, but um, and uh, so I wouldn't be shocked if they trade him. So, you know, given all that, um, I think that people are really going to be worried about Larkin because if you trade away Bertuzzi and Larkin, two in your top six on a team that looks like wow, it's just arriving, like who's ever Oof. done that? You know, like, yeah, but, no. you know, Eisenman is a confident guy. Like, I'm sure, you know, he's got a plan B in his head saying, look, if I don't get uh, uh, Dylan Larkin, if he walks, you know, I'll go do this. Um, and if I got to trade Bertuzzi, this is the guy that I'm going to target in the free agent marketplace. So uh, I'm sure he's got a plan. Um, it'll be interesting to see now. Yeah. In Detroit, as you all as you know, he walks on water. So he's never done anything yep. that the fan base didn't say, Ah, it's Steve, he knows what he's doing. But you know, if Larkin goes, it'll be interesting to see what the fan <laughs> reaction will be to that. So May uh, may test that. L- let, let me ask you about Vili Huso. So my own my own internal gauge is I, I don't make my mind up about net minders until I see a hundred games. We've just seen so much variance. You know, guy comes in, you know, shooters have one look at him. He looks fantastic. You know, the next round of shooters, you know, then the next 50 games, you know, once the book starts to get written, then you start to see how the goalie adapts and, uh, and that ends up being who they are. Now, Vili Husso still hasn't played 100 games in the NHL, but obviously Steve Eiserman saw enough out of him in St. Louis to say, we believe in this guy. And so far, that's paid off. I mean, he's having a, a real nice, you know, 919 save percentage season for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he's held them in games. You know, he's stolen periods before. Do you get a sense of what what Eiserman saw in Husso? to make what might, many might consider kind of a risky gamble considering there wasn't the big track record here to draw from considering the position they've handed to Vili Husso. Yeah, um, I actually think I do know what Eisenman saw him just because I've watched him play now. So and uh, it's his composure and the fact that um, he doesn't ever show any wasted energy through anxiety. Uh, like he's a very calm, efficient, effective uh, guy who just uh, makes the save. He he never looks panicked. He never looks frenetic. 
Uh, and the, the guys have all talked about that. Like, it's just amazing when, you know, uh, you know, if you look at the, compare him to Nedeljkovic, who, you know, he still has potential to be a pretty darn good goalie. Um, but he's flying all over the net and, um, you know, he's been involved oh, yeah. in oh, yeah. some high scoring games and, and it's just completely different. Now, you know, when, uh, you know, they give up a goal and they're falling behind, he's still the same. Huso is exactly the same as when he was when they were leading or anything else. But that has had a huge impact. And it is amazing to me how many guys have talked about, you know, just, you know, he looks at it. And it's, it's kind of a small thing, but I, but I think it's indicative. When there was discussion about uh, um, the, the Big Ten, uh, big uh, um, game in Michigan State and uh, Michigan, uh, Willie Huso, who knows nothing about American football, uh, someone asked him who he's going for. And he goes, well, who is it that Larkin's going uh, for? He goes, well, he went to Michigan. He goes, well, I'm taking the other team. And he, and I thought for a new guy who knows nothing about football, to take on having that sort of uh, behavior to say I'm going against whoever my captain is for, I, I just yeah. and that's just an indication of his, um, you know, his composure. Like he's not uh, fearful to – you know, get engaged and be part of the, you know, the fun of the locker room. So um, I think uh, Eisenman saw that in him. Uh, I do because, you know, I, I think it was uh, – I also think he thought he was the best available goalie, and it's really worked out for him. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it really has. Um, we're up against the clock. Kevin, always a delight catching up. Uh, great insight on the Red Wings, as always. Enjoy the matchup tonight. I know you'll be thinking about Wendell Clark, uh, big 17 <laughs> yeah, uh, in the lineup, uh, fighting everybody except his cousin, uh, Joe Koser. was the only one that, ah, no, yeah. I'm staying away from Joe. Uh, thanks, as yeah, always, Kevin. Well. You be well. See you later. You too. Bye-bye. There he is, Ke- Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey. Now, tonight, Rogers, Monday Night Hockey. It is the Detroit Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs, one of six on the board around the NHL. Speaking of Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Keith Yandel's on that panel, folks. He's going to be joining me here in a couple of moments. Of course, former NHL defenseman, former Ironman, and uh, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet covering the Vancouver Canucks, who are now knocking on a wild card spot door in the Western Conference. Keith Yandel, Ian McIntyre, hour two on the horizon. Keep it here. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Some news to share your way. This is um, an interesting week to follow the NHL because it's the last week you can sign players. Deadline is Thursday, 5 o'clock Eastern. The Avalanche have agreed to terms with Alex Galchenyuk, a one-year deal for the remainder of the season. Alex Galchenyuk uh, back in the mix uh, in the NHL. I know we all have eyes on Alex Formanton, still without a contract um, with the Ottawa Senators. Curious to see what happens there before the Thursday deadline. Uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tonight, 6.30 is the pregame show. The puck drops just after 7 Eastern time. It is the Detroit Red Wings hosting the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, David Amber uh, anchors the panel alongside Anson Carter, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, and our next guest, uh, former Ironman, former NHL defenseman, now broadcaster, who's going to rule the airwaves for decades, the one and only Keith Yandel. He joins me now. Keith, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? 
Uh, good. You got to make me one promise, though. You have to be, when when people ask you uh, what the new gig is like, you have to tell them that it's really hard. You can't tell them the uh, the obvious story, which is actually it's as simple as I make it look. I'm just that good. Yeah, you know what? I actually it's the first thing I tell us they, uh, you know, as much as you don't want to give uh, media guys credit now that I'm part of the media, it, it's it's not as easy as you guys make it look. So. Um, you know, obviously for me, still learning a lot and trying to get better every show, but it's definitely not as easy as you guys make it look. What's, what's the, what's the biggest challenge? You know, one of the things that I always hear when, when, cause we've worked with a number of different XNHLers, um, to, to various degrees of success. And the one thing that the lion's share of them always say is I had no idea you had to do this much prep. What's the, what's the biggest challenge for you? Yeah, the, the the prep is uh, is, uh, but obviously, if I think for me this year, like I never really watched too much hockey, like while I was playing, um, whether it was at home, it was just right. kind of my time to get away. And I, I think this year for me, I've really enjoyed watching the game and you know having no skin in the game and just kind of rooting for good hockey, rooting for friends, rooting for you know whatever it is. But I, I think for me, just how good the league is right now and the parody throughout the league and how good the young players are and the old guys who are still playing. It, it's, you know, for me, it's just enjoying the games every night. And that's kind of been something that I've uh, looked forward to just kind of sitting down after, you know, dinner and watching hockey and, uh, you know, getting some storylines and stuff like that. But I think, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is, is having fun watching the games. Sure, and, and and it's it's always like the first couple of seasons when you do it. If you step right out of the NHL, you still have like a ton of knowledge about the game because you still know the teams and you still know all the players. And you know, I want to, you know, I love talking about some of the older guys that are still in there and are still a competitive and two succeeding. And we look at the uh, the season that Eric Carlson is having right now for the San Jose Sharks. Just oh, another game goes by, another casual three points for for Eric Carlson. And then, like I was mentioning this off the top today, we're we're talking about Jason Robertson, and I'm just you know still I shouldn't say stunned, but I'm I'm really I'm really appreciating more what Joe Pavelski means to the Dallas Stars and what Joe Pavelski meant to the San Jose Sharks. I don't think they've been the same team since he left. When you look at some of the older guys, the guys you competed against for years, Keith, who are the guys you enjoy you enjoyed competing against and who are some of the guys you enjoy watching? I think for me it's yeah, you know, I even look at it's probably an easy answer, but Sid, Ovi, uh Bergeron, um just guys who are, you know, and, and when you think about those guys, so you think about, you know, them being in the playoffs every year, playing extra games, playing, you know, hard games, and they're just still out there doing it. And, um, you know, obviously they're having fun with it too. Um, but, yeah, it, it just amazes me what, how well guys are, you know, it, like you were talking about Robinson. Like, I, I think, like, he comes in, this year with no training camp and like it just goes to show you how much guys are working out in the summertime and getting themselves ready whether you're 18 years old or 37 years old like the, the, the way guys are training in the summertime now it's it's you know i feel like like if sid really wanted to play till he was 45 years old i think he could uh i think so too 
I I'm I'm the same way. Like I'm uh I'm always of a couple of minds here. Like I've never been one of these guys that says, "Oh, you should leave the stage while the while the audience is still clapping." You know, I look at um, you know, Peter Forsberg towards the end. You know, he could not find a boot that would fit right and a lot of foot issues, but he still wanted to keep playing. Like just keep playing. Like they're going to drag me off the ice. Like there's no way. Like, I love that. And there are others that always oh, ruining his legacy, tarnishing his legacy. We need to look at Peter Forsberg in one specific way. Man, I say BS to that. Like for me it's it's if you want to keep playing and someone wants to pay you to keep playing, man, I, I thought we applauded stuff like that in sports. Like no matter how old you are, you, you never wanted to quit, right? Like uh, I'm I'm with you like even if Sid is not at the height of his powers and right now he's still one of the best players in the game. If he wants to stretch this thing out till he's 45, I'm totally cool with it just like any other player that can, you know, still perform, can still get out there and someone wants to still pay him. Yeah, and I, th- I think a big thing, too, is which, you know, obviously when you get older, like, you know, for example, like you look at Chara, whatever, last year, the last few years, obviously wasn't winning Norris trophies yeah. like he was early in the year, but you had no idea what that guy like him means to everybody in that locker room. Like, if you're a young guy coming into the league and you see a guy, a, a guy like Z, who's 45 years old, first guy at the rink, last guy at the rink, like, that goes a long way. So I think... And I think the league is getting a little too young where I think you need some veteran guys. And I think if you look at teams that struggle, don't have the older veteran guys to help out. Um, but I, yeah, I think guys should go out whenever they want. And, and, and they really, the, the appreciation for them in the locker room, even if they're not doing it on the ice when they get older, is, um, is far greater than them not playing. You know, it's always interesting when you look at, you know, older players and younger players and, you know, younger players, I get it, like you're new in the league and they want to treat every game like it's game seven, but you can't play, you know, 82 game sevens in a season. Like, I know fans don't like to hear about, oh, I got to pace myself through the year, but... You know, there's, there was one player, I remember, you know, who uh, his coach told me the story. This is like a superstar in the NHL who said, like, at the beginning of the year, look, here's how it's going to be. 30 games, I'm going to be the best player on the ice. People are going to look at me like I shot my shoe in for the Hall of Fame. There'll be another 30 games this year where, you know what, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not going to be anywhere close to the player that I can be, and we're just going to see what the other 22 are like when I, when I get to the rink that day. Like, I know fans don't like hearing stuff like that, especially about superstars, but I get it. Like, 82 games is a lot, and especially the way the game is played now and the pace that it's played out and all the expectations – that are on a hockey player like when you when you played like how crucial was it like to be able to pace yourself and not treat like a random Tuesday in Columbus or a Tuesday night in Minnesota like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup final well I think early in your career it's um you obviously don't have that luxury to do that you kind of got to be on every night um you know, because if you have a bad game or a bad shift, like you, there's a chance you could get sad or sent to the minors. So, yeah. But you know, the the older you get, you know, the more lean. But you also know how to manage a game a little more. You know how to kind of just fly under the radar a little bit. The old less is more type of thing. And you know, you look at some of the guys, the big name guys like 
their five-on-five play sometimes, like you said, during you know the dog days of the season, it might be okay. And then they're turning it on for the power play and getting you know their their one or two points in the power play, helping the team win. Um, so there's there's times we pick and choose, but it's also I think the way the game is, the the way the league is now, you have your mandatory days off. You're not really morning skating as much as you were. Like the grind of it earlier in my career of knowing you were going to practice every day, you maybe had a day off a month if you were lucky. But if you played bad the night before that day off was going to come, it was going to get canceled. So now you have the luxury of kind of, you know, like the sleep, like importance of sleep. Like teams want you, if you're getting in late, instead of waking up and having a nine o'clock meeting or eight o'clock meeting, like they're letting you sleep. So I think that part of the game is being managed really well. Um, Just kind of knowing how, long and and you know treacherous the season could be i think the the whole league is doing a good job of kind of you know having their days off having their time off so i think it's a little probably a little bit easier now to manage those 82 games than it was early in my career uh tonight rogers monday night hockey um it is the detroit red wings and the toronto maple leafs i just talked to kevin allen uh, a couple of seconds ago from uh, detroit hockey now and got a got a snapshot of where the the wings are at from his point of view uh i want to start by asking you about the maple leafs and you know where you think this team is at right now like, i know there's like there's a there's a there's an injury issue here clearly uh on the back end and uh a lot of players are playing some pumped-up minutes here, um, but they seem to be doing fine. Uh, when you look at the Maple Leafs right now, Keith, what jumps to mind for you? I think the biggest, like when the last few years, you, you think of the Leafs like, all right, we're going to have to beat this team five to four or six five. You knew they were going to come out and just play all offense, kind of run and gun. Yeah. Um, but I think this year, like, I really like the way they've kind of buckled down defensively. Obviously, they've had a lot of injuries. and um, But I, I think I'd rather, if I was a Leafs fan, um, I'd rather see them where they're at now than as opposed to last year where they're scoring a million goals. You know, it kind of seems like they're at that point now where they're all like, okay, we got to really buckle down defensively to, you know, win in the playoffs. I think they've, they've taken it on the chin in, in, in playoffs where they know – Okay, what we've done during the regular season hasn't really worked uh, in playoffs. So, I, I, I actually I like the way that they play, and I think that they're I think they're going to go out and make a splash in uh, in a trade and help help their team. So, if I was a Leafs fan, I'd be happy with where they're at. Uh, any concerns if you're a Maple Leafs fan about Austin Matthews and the goals? No, not at all. I think, I mean. He, he he got he, you get what he get last year sixty. Um, it's yeah. tough to do that. Like you can't expect that every year from a guy. Um, I think he's more engaged defensively on the D side. That he's playing he's playing hard in all three zones from all the games that I've watched. Uh, but you, you got to realize like every team's going to key in on him, and he's not going to get the opportunities or the looks that he gets every other game. Uh, in years past, like he's a main focal point of every team playing against him. So, you know, I think I think the goals are gonna come, and um, you know, I think for him, I'd rather him scoring in, in the playoffs at a rapid race than than right now. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Mitch Marner's having a nice season. John Tavares as well with uh, with 12 goals. Uh, when you look at this team, like w- where are the areas where if the Maple Leafs are going to do anything, it has to come from? Is it your top six? Is it your blue line? Is it they're going to go as far as their goaltender takes them? Where is it? I think it's bottom six. And I, th- I think obviously right now with um, – all their injuries, they they need a D. They're going to have to get a D at some point. Um, but I think I think the bottom six, like you think of teams like like Tampa, uh, Colorado last year, like those guys, like they didn't go out and trade for a superstar. Um, yeah, no offense, you know, like Cogliano comes in, he's a main key why those guys win last year. He's a hardworking third or fourth line guy. He's been around forever. Uh, yeah, I mean, you even look like. Tampa Bay, like bringing in Corey Perry, a guy who was a league MVP, but now knows his role as an older guy to win. He's going to have to play bottom six minutes. Like he helps you win because he can, he can play in all situations. So I think I think they need a veteran, um, a bottom six guy or two uh, that that'll really help them because they don't need anything. The top the top six up up front are, you know some of the best in the game. So I, I think they need, you know, maybe a good veteran, um, you know, obviously a guy that doesn't make too much money because they, they don't have the cap space, but a guy that can help you win and that's yeah. been there and, uh, you know, is willing to win. Uh, Matt Murray's come under some scrutiny uh, in the uh, the last little while. The Pittsburgh game, certainly the New Jersey game before that for the net dislodging itself. Now, you know, I've, I look at Murray and I say, okay, now he's being trained by Curtis Sanford, um, disciple of Ian Clark. You know, Thatcher Demko went through something similar when he learned how to post play under the Ian Clark system. Sanford is a sort of, you know, was in the organization under Clark there in Abbotsford. And I say, okay, so Matt Murray's doing, uh, he's playing a different style of game and there's a lot of anchoring around the post with the inside edge and pushing up and maybe that's why the that's coming off more so than ever. Um, how do you see the the Matt Murray post story right now? Deliberate or just a goalie going through growing pains as he learns how to play the position differently? I don't think it's deliberate. I don't. I mean, I don't think any goalie or any player like it, it, it'd be like, okay, I don't want to be part of this play right now. I, I don't think I can make the save. Like no, no, especially him. Like he's a gamer. I don't, I don't think it's deliberate at all. Yeah. Um, if I was on the other team, it would drive me insane. If uh, guys were, if it kept happening, um, you know, especially when you have zone play and you're buzzing it around, all of a sudden the net's off and they can change or whatever it is. But yeah. I definitely don't think it's deliberate. It's probably, like you said, part of him learning, you know, playing a new style of play. Um, I mean, obviously every goalie has the same. You know, the nets are the same for everyone. So, I don't know, maybe he's just too strong. He's, getting, he's been doing a lot of leg days. <laughs> you know, it's funny, It's funny too, because I was talking to someone on, on Saturday before hockey night and, you know, bringing up the issue. And, you know, I said, look, like, there's, a, there's a lot of like, goaltenders are bigger and, and stronger than they ever have been. And they're slamming up against the post. And these guys are like 200, 215 pounds, 6 foot 4, 6 foot 5. You know, is there a, uh, you know, do we need to start looking at the marsh pegs again and say, like, we've had this, we've had these pegs now, Keith, for like 35 years. Is there another way that we can, you know, anchor 
the net and still keep it safe for forwards to crash into it? I don't know the answer, but uh, have you ever felt the the pegs themselves come out too easy, or we have a we have an issue with the marsh pegs? I think uh, I think they're there for a reason because the old ones were the, you know that wouldn't come off like that. That's just you, you're getting oh, into some dangerous brutal. territory there. So. I think, yeah, you don't even like thinking about that when guys would slam to the net. So I think where it is, it's fine. Um, It's also, too, like there's ice conditions in different arenas where maybe those pegs weren't pushed down far enough. Like the next game, it could happen, you know, zero times to them. So it kind of all depends. Uh, I think what they're doing now is is fine. It's safe. Um, It's been working and, you know, not too big of a deal. Like if if this happened to a team in, in... Nashville or Florida, we wouldn't be talking about it. This is because it's Toronto, isn't it? This is all the attention yeah, exactly. on the Toronto goaltender, and he's and he's biting, he's popped it off. Okay, let me ask one more goalie question. We'll let you get on with your prep, and you got the big show tonight. Um, Connor Hellebuck in that game against the Dallas Stars, uh, he gets run into Josh Morrissey with the push. Jamie Ben hits him, the helmet comes off, and he goes down on the side. Dallas scores to tie the game. Now. One of the things that I believe Hockey Ops is doing now is, you know, uh, making the phone calls and calling, you know, gen- various general managers and saying, do we need a do we need a rule change? Like, if the mask comes off, you blow the whistle right away, or are we fine with it right now the way that it is? That if there's a continuous scoring play, you let that that scoring play occur before you blow the whistle. Uh, would you be in favor of mandatory whistles after a goalie's mask come on, comes off? Or, Keith Yandel, do you think it's fine the way it is? I think it's fine the way it is. And, you know, playing, like, uh, international, like, uh, rules, you know, like when it hits the goalie's helmet, like it's yep. an automatic whistle. And, you know, how like uh, there's often times where it hits the goalie, like you said, like it hits the goalie's mask and there's a rebound, it's a goal. And, and uh, at the end of the day, like if – you're a you're a player and you don't even have a face mask on you get hit in the face like play kind of still goes on so um i don't know i I think the i think the rule is fine um i don't think they need to change it i think it's if it's a bang bang obviously if the goalie's sitting there with his helmet off and it's kind of being snapped around like you don't want a guy sitting there with no helmet but i think guys too if, if you're on the ice and you see that you see the goalie with no helmet on like no one's gonna shoot it at his head um so I, th- I think the, the the rule is good where it is right now. I just worry about deflections. Like I saw Hellebuck there, and I'm like, okay, so there's a clean shot to the net, but what if it goes off a skate or a shin pad or a crossbar and and catches them? That was that was only because I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just wonder about deflected pucks because, like, you know this, you played, man. Everybody fires it. Like, everybody can sizzle that thing now. It's it's uh, it's it's not as safe as it used to be in the old days when just, like, two guys from every team could shoot the puck. Now everybody uh, can shoot the puck. Well, listen, we're looking forward to tonight's big matchup, the uh, Detroit Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Keith, thanks so much. Uh, continued success, man. You're, uh, you're doing the work. You're great on TV. Keep it up. We'll, uh, we'll be watching for you tonight on the panel. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There he is, the great Keith Yandel, uh, former NHL Ironman, former NHL defenseman, uh, now broadcaster with the NHL on Sportsnet. Rogers, Monday night hockey this evening. Pre-game at 6.30 Eastern. The puck drops just after 7. It's the Detroit Red Wings. And if you haven't seen the Wings, folks, by the way, 
Uh, I know, again, I'm making this point in the first hour. The underlying numbers don't look great. I get it. But they're winning games and getting great performances. Like, Philip Ronick is playing, like, the best hockey he's ever played. Dominic Kubalik has uh, been tremendous up on that top line with, with Dylan Larkin. Andrew Kopp as well. Uh, been real good. Um, David Perron, like you talk about needing that guy on that team at that time. Although the one thing I always do wonder about Detroit and their fans is, and so much of this is just a matter of timing, and you know how they love the Michigan players, obviously. Dylan Larkin went to Michigan. Um, (laughs) I know that this was a year where the Detroit Red Wings were going to take that next step, although if there ever was a year where if you weren't going to take the next step, uh, the the uh, the prize at the end of it is pretty sweet. Either Connor Bedard or from the University of Michigan Wolverines, Adam Fantilli, uh, who is just dynamite um, uh, with Nerado's team there. That's a uh, that's a pretty good consolation prize. But the the Red Wings are past that now. Third. Uh, in the Atlantic as the NHL hits the quarter mark of the season. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, getting on the Vancouver Canucks page with Ian McIntyre. Meanwhile, Maddie Marchese, my producer, is back on the airwaves. Uh, what do you think of Keith Yandel, Maddie? Oh, it's so good. Like, having a guy who just finished playing and and he knows all oh, the current good. players, right? And, and I think that's I think that's such a, a valued asset to have because, listen, at the end of the day, we can watch all these guys play and we can have our own determinations, but someone who's actually played against these guys knows tendencies, knows their habits, knows all the little intricacies of the game period. And to have him aboard, I mean, he's, he's awesome. I, I, I did, I did appreciate like his perspective on the game as well. And, and just about, you know, the days off and players playing late into their careers uh, and specifically about Sidney Crosby. It's just amazing to me how the game mm-hmm. has changed. Look, if anybody knows about, you know, being able to play a long time, Keith Yandel would be that guy because he played for not only a long period yeah. of time, but played it consecutively. So he knows about, you know, kind of taking care of himself and, and he sees what other players are doing and and the jason robertson example was was spot on about the training these guys are doing because we tend to forget that he did miss all of training camp and he has not missed a beat at all so what does that tell you then about training camp it's too long (laughs) that's what everybody says (laughs) i'm telling you everybody like like i get it it's you know it's these are these are games where owners can make some money here because you're not paying the players. I get it. Um, maybe for some players you do need a training camp, but by and large, like you ask these guys, they'll tell you training camp's too long. We only need a couple of games, and then let's just get going. I know why they do it. I know why they. I know why they have it stretched out. I know why some of the the big name teams want to want to play games. Like, listen, the Maple Leafs are always going to play the maximum amount of games. Um, just, and that's strictly financial. That's why that's happening. Um, but if you ask any of the players, and I guess it depends on whether you're asking a younger player or an older player, uh, generally they'll tell you, yeah, you know what, let's do an abbreviated camp, just play a couple of games and then away we go. Having said that, there are also always teams that like, there are some teams going into the season, like they'll maybe be one or two players that shuffle out and one or two new players, Maddie. But there are some teams that have a more sizable change. Like, and we even think about the Detroit Red Wings and all the players that they brought in, albeit they're veteran guys. 
and should be ready to go. But if you're Steve Eisenman, you want to get these guys playing with each other uh, before the regular season starts. Anyhow, um, yeah, the, the the Robertson phenomenon is a big one. We talked about that in, uh, in, in hour one. But guys, now more so than ever, like you miss training camp, it doesn't necessarily set you back that much, if at all. Case in point, Jason Robertson. What else are you thinking of these days? Well, I mean, the Austin Matthews thing that you brought up about the goal scoring was super interesting because at this pace, he is he is on pace to have more assists than goals for the first time in his career. And I do wonder about not playing with Mitch Marner because if Mitch Marner's not on his line, mm-hmm. he has to become a little bit more of a distributor. And I wonder how that affects Austin Matthews specifically because, you know, it, it's – it's not Mitch Marner getting him the puck, and William Nylander is more of a shooter than he is a passer, mm-hmm. and Michael Bunting is more the guy that kind of gets into the zone, does the dirty work on the boards, and I wonder how much Austin Matthews was spoken to about not playing with Mitch Marner because you want to keep him as happy as humanly possible, and he's not scoring as much. I mean, he has 10 goals in 23 games, but it's certainly not the pace that we saw last year. Like, he has to go a long way to score 50, let alone 60. So I'm just, I'm, mm. it's very interesting to me just the kind of change in his game because you just took one of the elite scorers of, of this generation and essentially turned him into a playmaking center, which is not necessarily what you want. You know, just me, and again, I have no stats in front of me to either disprove or solidify something that my eyes are showing me about Matthews this year. It seems to be Maddie, just me, or is Matthews being more physical this year than we've ever seen him? Like he still hasn't thrown like you know the big you know bone crunchers, but as far as like using his body to separate player from puck, and like he's a big heavy guy, like he's a big strong dude. Looks to me like he's more physical this year. What do you think? Well, we saw we saw it in the playoffs, right? That he kind of took that next yep. step, and and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he led the Maple Leafs in hits in that series against Tampa Bay, which was necessary. Um, but mm-hmm. I do agree with you. Like he's, and it's not it's not the big hits like you mentioned, but he is physically and where I've noticed his physicality the most, and this is more so over the course of the last two or three years. The way that he works down low and his body position reminds me of how Yarmir Yager used to used to work down low. Big bodied guy. Yeah. And and I think that's yeah. where the biggest difference in his game is. And phys- like he's a big guy. We we forget. Like he's a big guy who can skate. And I, you always wanted just even a little bit of physicality. And I think you're right. I think we're starting to get mm-hmm. that. But I think that was a translation from him in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. Uh, okay, so a couple of more things. Ian McIntyre joining me here at the bottom of the hour. We'll uh, we'll discuss what's happening with the uh, the Vancouver Canucks, both on and off the ice. On the ice, uh, with all of the winning and climbing up standings and flirting with a wild card spot right now, and some great play from Elias Pettersson, uh, who's been tremendous. Bo Horvat continues his his excellent season in his contract year. Nonetheless, that's always nice timing is everything in life, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we'll ask Ian about the Rachel Dory situation, um, who tweeted out um, something that we had reported the week before that she had filed a um, a complaint um, to the BC Human Rights Tribunal. Um, uh, 
about uh, mistreatment by the Vancouver Canucks organization and singling out specifically Assistant General Manager Emily Castonguay. So we'll get uh, Ian's thoughts on all of this. In the meantime, one thing real quick here is we uh, we had to break in a second. I'm not sure what's going to happen to the Philadelphia Flyers, um, but here we are with another 10-game losing streak. They're at 50 contracts right now. So as much as they might want to bring someone like, you know, Artem Anisimov um, in, unless they make a, another move to free up a spot, they're at their max, which is 50 contracts. And if you're listening or watching and, and don't know, the maximum amount of contracts a team can carry uh, is 50. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers are at that right now. Um, again, the prizes for bottoming out are really good this year, but I don't think John Tortorella really wants much of that at all if it happens so be it uh, and the prize is nice for the general manager but I don't think the coach is looking at it that way I don't think coaches have a lot of time for you know um, how do we say it green bananas or playing the development game they want players thank you very much send me the players thank you and I'll, I'll coach them uh, it ain't looking good for the Philadelphia Flyers you know whether it's you know what they're chanting at home games how they feel about their team which does stretch back to the previous season which stretch back stretches back a few seasons uh, for being real honest about all of this how do you see the Flyers right now Maddie I it's a tough watch Jeff it's a really tough watch and I think a lot of people they got really ahead of themselves because they had such a great start and I know that we talked about it on this it's like okay hold on a second Let's just let's just wait. And they have been they have been ravaged by injuries like connect me Atkinson. They don't have Couturier. I mean, it's and it's a lot on Carter Hart because that defensive unit is not very good. I just uh, I feel really I feel bad for John Tortorella, even though I figure he knew what he was getting into when he took over this team. I just oh, yeah. didn't envision that he thought it was going to be 10 games in a row bad. But this isn't like the first ten game losing streak like this organization has had in the last couple of I years. Know. It's almost like what is this like the third ten game losing streak, Maddie, in the last couple of years? This is uh as we like to say, ungood. Uh we'll take a break, we'll come back and get on the Vancouver Canucks page. Uh what a win that was last night. Uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, real happy for a lot of players and happy for, you know, one coach specifically, who like the ultimate underdog coach in the NHL right now. Uh, as we know what's happening above Bruce Boudreaux, the best way to stick it to your manager is to win hockey games. And that's what Boudreaux is doing with the Vancouver Canucks. Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet Comments and Moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs. They're flirting with it right now after uh, last night's thrilling overtime victory they're one point away a lot of people will be happy for i know we're just at the quarter mark here but we know the saga that has been the vancouver canucks so far this season here for comments on this and uh, and other issues involving the vancouver canucks is ian mcintyre from sportsnet ian how are you today oh well it's never dull around this team is it and it and it is remarkable after after all of 
what they have been through, you know, blowing a historic number of games early on with a two or three goal lead, losing seven of them, getting only two points out of those available 14 in those seven games where they led by two or more. And yet they wake up this morning and it looks like there's a playoff spot right in front of them. Hard to believe. Uh, it really is, and I, I wonder, you know, perhaps knowing the answer is, well, no, Jeff, of course not. Do you think this recalibr like the this this recent success by this Vancouver Canucks team, do you think this recalibrates in any way, shape, or form how Jim Rutherfield feels Jim Rutherford rather feels about the head coach Bruce Boudreaux? Yeah, well, I think he probably likes him a little better when the team wins, no matter what he thinks of their structure and their and their systems play. So so I'd say the short answer is yes, but honestly, with with how badly the Canucks played, uh, you know, the first 15 games or so, and then especially you know the first eight or ten, I think if if they if it was uh, if Jim Rutherford had a trigger finger when it came to his coach, he might have uh, changed coaches by now. So yeah, I, I think it helps. Mm. I think it helps Bruce. It helps everybody, you know, to have a little success. But at the end of the day, we know that this is uh, an awkward situation where Boudreaux was hired ahead of Rutherford and Rutherford's made it clear, not that he doesn't want this coach, but he wants the team to play better and, and differently than what it has played under Bruce. So a lot of that has to do with the, def- the team defending and, and some of the structure and that has improved incrementally. It's still got a ways to go, and I don't think they're going to be a team that ever just plays games, two-one games, and locks down a one-goal lead. Uh, I think they're too too adventurous for that. But they're they're showing that they can score goals by the bushel full. So if they can just be mm-hmm. average defensively, they can win a lot of games. You know, one of the things that we wonder about through all, first of all, um, the the coaching manager dynamic. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, this isn't the first time we've seen this in Vancouver. I seem to recall that Elaine Vigneault was coaching Vancouver when Mike Gillis arrived. So that was already in place. So it's, I mean, it's not uncommon. Uh, It's just that this one seems awkward when you hear comments like, well, we thought his contract was expiring uh, at the end of the season. Um, none, nonetheless. Um, yeah. Well, Bo, well the only one... I want to get to Elias Pettersson here in a second. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, sorry to interrupt, Jeff. I was going to say there is one situation that was even more awkward than this. If you go back to the late 1990s when Mike Keenan had all the launch codes for the Canucks as coach and uh, de facto GM and then the organization hired Brian Burke who came in and and told the owners different owners at that time yeah yeah okay I can make this work with Mike and it did not work at all and uh, you know you rarely saw you rarely saw Keenan and Burke together and it would I'm sure there's some hilarious uh, backstories about how how terrible that relationship was. That was that was the season that Mike Keenan, after saying a couple of times to the media, "I can only coach the players I have," <laughs> which was a direct shot at Burke. That was the season uh, <laughs> Keenan pulled pulled the goalie in Toronto with about 12 minutes left yep. in the third period as a as a sign of this is how desperate I am. 
to get something out of this team. We have to play six on five to have a hope of scoring a goal. So he wasn't long for the Canucks. Yeah. But this situation is probably the most awkward one since then. Uh, it really has. Yet yeah, we've seen some great individual performances through all of it. I want to get to Pedersen in a second, but uh, you know, I was talking to Kevin Allen in the first uh, in the first hour about the Detroit Red Wings and Dylan Larkin and the decision there with Steve Eiserman, the general manager, and Larkin's a uh, UFA, uh, impending unrestricted free agent. And you know, I think there are two players that are sort of looking at each other right now, both in different conferences, saying. Whatever you signed for, that's what I'm going for. And that's Dylan Larkin and Bo Horvat, who's just having a, a special season uh, by, you know, any, any, you know, by any marker you want to use. Do you have a thought on how this Bo Horvat situation plays itself out? Well, uh, he's not getting any cheaper by the week, is he? And, and the reason there wasn't no. a deal done, uh, the reason there wasn't a deal done when before the season began is because they were, were obviously too far apart. I hate to state the obvious, but they, they weren't close enough to get a deal done. I don't think they're any closer now. Uh, I think they're probably farther now. So how does, how does this get settled? Well, first of all, it's great for Bo and, and it's good for the team that he's, that he's playing so well and, and scoring like he is. So either his trade value is going through the roof or Bo's own value uh, contractually is is going through the roof. And right now, it's hard to see how this gets gets resolved in Vancouver. They're certainly not going to let this go past the trade deadline. They'll like they'll either have found a compromise and and have something by then, or or Bo Horvat is going to be the the best and one one of the most high profile players traded in in franchise in franchise history you know the the canucks i wow. i think i don't think they're going to just go to market value with Bo. so and you know if Bo really wants to get paid and and he deserves it for for what he has done you know and your your value as you know your value as a player is whatever somebody's willing to pay you so yeah. uh unless yeah. unless Bo really wants to take a discount it's hard to see how this how this uh relationship continues but for now you know he's doing the right thing uh he is he's clearly been able to focus maybe he's motivated by it as well he hasn't he hasn't said so but i think i think he takes personally you know comments such as uh culture and leadership um you know criticisms from from rutherford i think he takes that personally because he's the captain and he's been here a long time you know he he probably feels responsible for the Mm -hmm. culture so maybe he is motivated by that but he's always he's always been a player who who gives everything he has and uh, I expect he'll keep doing so I just don't know right now it's hard to see how that's going to be for the Canucks beyond this season Pedersen is this the best hockey you've seen him play ever Uh, yes and as I quickly Rolodex through my head I, I'm trying to think. You would have to go back to the Sedins, uh when they were winning scoring titles and MVP titles uh, a decade ago to find anybody on the Canucks playing this well. I mean, he's playing even better than, say, JT Miller did last season, and Miller had the best season by any Canuck forward since the Sedins. He's just taken his game to another level, and that other level really now encompasses 
uh, the defensive zone and and uh, every every square foot of the ice. He's become uh, their best two-way center, which you know is is amazing when you think of it. Because look at the season that Bo Horvat is having, but Ilias Pettersson has been even better, and especially in in defensive situations and in matchup roles. And, and these are roles that he has, he has asked for and been given by Boudreaux. And he's also a factor, you know, I, we've spent a lot of time on Bo already, but he's also a factor in the Canucks and trying to fit the pieces in under the salary cap because Pedersen's got two years to go. And he absolutely is a player they have to have. He's their best player. And right now it's hard to say whether he's going to cost 9 million or 10 million or 12 million, but it's going to be, the highest figure in franchise history when Pedersen resigns, and that all plays into, you know, Bo's situation as well. Uh, it certainly does. Although you, you look at that and you say, "Wow, what a real!" Like, if, if you're, you're winning hockey games from the net out to the blue line uh, to down the middle, how you look at that and say Horvat and Pedersen up the gut for the next ten years? Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll 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 take some of that. Um, how do you see the net minding situation, Ian, playing itself out in Vancouver? I think it's it's going to continue kind of as it is. I, I know some people think you know this is somehow controversial, or or we in the media are trying to create a goaltending controversy. There's nothing controversial at all about the Canucks rewarding Spencer Martin with some ex, extra starts, uh, which he has had and is going to continue to have until Thatcher Demko fully gets his game back to the level that it was, or until Spencer Martin. Uh, proves that that he can't win for them. But Spencer Martin in 14 games this season last, there's only one out of the 14. He hasn't collected at least a point. So all he's done for the team is win. There's no controversy about who the quote-unquote starter or number one is. That's Thatcher Demko. He was one of the best goalies in the NHL last season. He will again be one of the best goalies in the NHL, but he's got to work his way back towards that. He has been a little better his last uh, over his last three or four starts, um, it, his numbers don't really reflect that. But he is he is starting to look a little bit like the goalie he was last season. But I have to I have to say, you know, from from a conversation I had uh, with Thatcher when the team had an off day in Toronto on the last road trip, he was he was really. Uh, really thrown by by this slump because he said he's always been a guy mm. where if something's wrong well you just work work harder you know you do more uh, and he had said before the season that he's never done as much to be ready for a season as he did this off season you know he even postponed his yeah. honeymoon because he wanted to come to Vancouver early to work with Ian Clark the goaltending guru so basically from second week of August to training camp, he was already working his way towards being ready for the season. So the fact he put in all that work, all that time, and felt as good as he's ever felt going into a season, and then he comes out and and falls on his face, you know, at at the start. I think it I think it really shook him. He didn't, you know, he's never been through it before. It wasn't, you know, what's the remedy then? He can't work any harder than he's already been working. And so it's just taken him uh, a while to to get his game back. But much like the team, just incrementally, he's been getting a little bit better week by week, but he's still got a ways to go. And until he gets there, it makes an awful lot of sense for them to keep giving Spencer Martin starts. 
for sure. Uh, Vancouver Canucks face off against the Washington Capitals tomorrow. That is an enormous hockey game. Uh, meanwhile, off the ice, we'll we'll end with this one, Ian. And you know, this is something that's before the courts. Um, and that is uh, last night. I think a lot of us were surprised that uh, former Vancouver Canuck employee Rachel Dory um, tweeted out the complaint that she filed at the BC Human Rights Tribunal. Um, alleging uh, misconduct uh, towards her by the Vancouver Canucks and specifically Assistant General Manager Emily Castonguay. Like, I'm sure you've read it. It's a, it's a tough one to read. Uh, you, you feel awful every sentence that it goes through. Now, Castonguay has denied it. Um, the Vancouver Canucks have denied it as well. This one heads to Human Rights Tribunal, uh, and those don't, get, those don't even get heard for a long time. But nonetheless... Um, now that it's out, do you have a thought on any of it? Well, first of all, you're right. It's very, very disturbing, and it and it and it's sad to read. And and the allegations that she makes, um, you know, really uh, cast uh, impugn um, Emily Castongay, who, of course, uh, through the team, uh, stated unequivocally, like there wasn't any gray in in her statement that this isn't true mm-hmm. uh it is it is tough i think for especially for casting and the canucks that now you know there's two years or or more to wait before you know they can actually make their argument or w- whatever it is they want to say i'm not sure if something will be settled before then but uh, you know the, the the feeling i had having read through it and then i saw the statements from the canucks is just kind of of sadness uh, about the situation, you know, Jim Rutherford, when he took over, he had this mission, uh, and I think it's probably been a, a career mission for him as a manager in the NHL to build a different kind of hockey operations department. He wanted diversity, and he wanted it to be inclusiveness and co- and collaborative, and he actually went out and and achieved that with a lot of his hires, and uh, Rachel Dory was one. Uh, but Emily Castingay is the first woman to, to ever be an assistant GM in the NHL. And she was followed soon by Cami Granato. They've got the first Swedish general manager. So they really have tried to be as inclusive uh, and diverse uh, as they could be. And now here, you know, the, the regime isn't even a year old. And you have, you know, awful allegations by one of uh, the female staff members against another female staff member. And it's, I just find a, a sadness in that. And I don't, uh, for a second, uh, I, I'm not, I don't suggest that anyone uh, should not be heard. Like all victims deserve to be heard. And of course, the people accused deserve to be able to defend themselves. But just, you know, from from afar looking at this and, yeah. and what the Canucks had hoped to achieve with these hires and what is happening right now, it's just sad. It's really too bad. It is. You just hope that it doesn't get, as I was mentioning on the podcast that just came out a couple hours ago, you just hope that it doesn't get, it doesn't turn into a nasty, public, ugly, you know, uh, situation. So we, we cross our, our fingers here. But yeah, that was a, that was a tough one to read. Um, yeah. Ian, thanks as always for stopping by, sharing your insight. Uh, we look forward to Vancouver and Washington tomorrow. One of Bruce Boudreaux's old teams. That's not lost on anybody. And it's a... Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a pressure game for the Vancouver Canucks as they're one point out uh, of a wild card spot. Thanks, as always, Ian, for stopping by. Always appreciate it, pal. 
Well, always nice to be on with you, Jeff, and uh, we'll see how this homestand goes. Certainly it was a very good road trip for Vancouver, and they have some momentum now. They have to keep it going. Absolutely. We uh, look forward to seeing that. Uh, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet covering the Vancouver Canucks, who find themselves nestled up against, but just on the outside of, a wild card spot. You wake up November 28th, Monday morning. Have a look at your laptop. Have a look at your phone. Have a look at your tablet. Newspaper. Vancouver Canucks are that close to a playoff spot? Really? A lot of people to thank for today. I want to thank Ian McIntyre, whom you just heard from. Keith Yandel, don't forget. Rogers Monday Night Hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Detroit Red Wing Wings. David Amber will be your uh, master of ceremonies for this one, as always. Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Anson Carter, and the aforementioned Keith Yandel. Puck drops just after 7 o'clock Eastern there. Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey now getting us cut up on the wings. And thanks to Matt Marchese for doing double duty today. Frank Baraska, thanks for the camera work. Lance Kennedy, good to be with you one more time behind the keyboards. Merrick show continues tomorrow at noon Eastern. Enjoy the games tonight, six of them, as we kick off another week around the NHL. Have a great rest of your day.